go ahead and turn to Jude. Once we're all there, I'll go ahead and start us with prayer. Jude is all the way at the end of your Bible. Go back to Revelation. This is the tiny book right before the book of Revelation. 25 verses. We'll be looking at Jude 1 through 4. And I'm just calling this uh, message a simple reminder of God's grace. And really the overview is just two points uh, that we need reminder that we're saved by God's grace. And, but we also need reminder that we're stewards of God's grace. And all I mean by that second point is that by his grace, God has made us stewards of the faith, stewards in his household. With these lights up here, if you have a few speckles or dust bunnies on your glasses, it really magnifies them. So forgive me, I'll get that out of the way before the prayer and they will not distract me. All right, let's pray. Father, we give this time to you. Time is yours. We are yours. This day is yours because all days are yours and we are mindful that you are a being of infinite power and perfect holiness and in light of our sin, you also have shown your grace and mercy toward us. Father, you sent us a savior, what could we say? You've erased the debt of our sin. Oh God, we're so thankful. You've given us new hearts, new minds, a new destiny, a new station to be united to Christ. What a blessing to have the Holy Spirit. What a blessing to have Bibles. What a blessing. Father, I pray, whatever the details, whatever the applications, I pray that you would show us Jesus Christ. I pray that you would exalt your son, Jesus Christ, before us through your word and through your spirit. And though these lips are unclean, I pray that you would use them this morning to speak things that are true and holy. And I pray that you would drive it into our ears and our hearts, just how holy you are and how merciful you are. All these things mediated to us through Jesus, show us Jesus. Holy Spirit, come help us now. It's in Christ we ask, amen. amen. Jude one through four, a simple reminder of God's grace. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And the rest of the book of Jude will deal with you know, who those people are and how, how the church is to deal with those people. This morning, we're only looking at verses one through four. Hopefully something that comes across, uh, number one is the joy that we ought to have in our salvation, that we are saved by God's grace through Jesus Christ, received by faith, 
We're saved by grace. Brethren, that should fill us with joy. So many troubles in the world, so many trials in our lives, so many sorrows, sorrows, so many things to contend with. We should have joy in the Holy Spirit, joy in our salvation. But something else that will come across, I mean, especially in the, in the book of Jude as a whole, but it even is in our verse, is the weight, the gravity of what's at stake. And so we're going to hopefully, hopefully see both of those things and experience both of those things in our hearts, the joy of being saved by grace and secondly, the weight and the gravity of the fact that we are stewards of grace. Look at verse 3b. Before we get into the main body of the message, I want to really shine a spotlight on this idea of stewardship. Uh, uh, The uh, second part of verse 3 I found it necessary to write appealing to you, pleading with you, arguing, setting out arguments, pleading, appealing to you, contend for the faith. That means fight for the faith, defend the faith, strive for the faith. The doctrines that God has revealed, he's given to the church. These church are for our benefit, our edification, and for any fruitfulness in ministry is based on what God has revealed. And he simply says, contend for it. That's what he's writing for. I want to appeal to you, church, contend for the faith. We're stewards of the faith which God has revealed. A steward is someone who takes care of someone else's property or even just takes part in caring for someone else's property, something that's not yours, but it's been delegated to you to help take care of it or to watch over it. That's stewardship. And with stewardship comes duty. With stewardship comes obligation. With stewardship comes a responsibility to care for this other person's things. In this case, what he says is the faith. The faith once for all delivered. Now, some examples of stewards. Apostles were stewards. The apostles of Jesus Christ were stewards. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. This is how one should regard us. How should, how should we regard you, Apostle Paul? Here's how one should regard us, servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Mysteries of God are truths that God has revealed. They're mysteries in, in the sense that we wouldn't know them unless God reveals them to us. We wouldn't be able to figure this out on our own. We wouldn't be able to search this out by our own intellect. Mysteries of God, stewards of the mysteries of God. God has revealed these truths, now we're stewards of them. Moreover, it's required of stewards, this is back in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Faithful, not negligent, not changing things, not here for ourselves. Apostles were stewards, also pastors. Pastors are stewards. Titus 1, verse 7, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must be above reproach. He is God's steward. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. You see, the overseer or the pastor is a steward. It is God who sets the terms for the pastor's qualifications and for the pastor's duties and for the pastor's character because the pastor is a steward. Apostles were stewards They didn't come up with the Christian system of doctrine. They received it from God. They're stewards of those mysteries. Pastors are stewards. All Christians are stewards. 
Listen to this, 1 Peter 4.10. Peter writes, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God has saved us by grace and by his grace he's given us spiritual gifts. Why, to prop ourselves up, to make ourselves feel good? Certainly not, may it never be, but to serve one another. We're stewards of God's various or varied grace to edify each other to encourage one another, brothers and sisters, to speak well of each other. We're all stewards of grace. Apostles, pastors, all Christians are stewards. Also, a local church as a whole, as one entity, the body of Christ, a local church is a steward. And even though this one doesn't actually use the word steward, this possibly is my favorite one on the list. Not that that makes it more important, I'm just letting you know this is one of my favorites. First uh, Timothy 3.15, Paul writes, if I delay, Timothy, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, comma, a pillar and buttress of the truth. What do pillars and buttresses do? Pillars hold things up. Buttresses hold things up. The church is a pillar and a buttress of the truth. We hold up the truth for the world around us. We hold up the truth for each other. We're not here for ourselves. We're ambassadors, we're messengers, we're stewards, we're servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are to be pillars and buttress of the truth. But the passage is for the church as a whole, the household of God, the church of the living God, the light of the world. It's for in, a wor- in a world of lies, in a culture of lies and deceptions, the church is the voice of truth because of scripture, not because we're smarter than other people, but because of God's truth and God's spirit that's changed our minds to embrace the truth. Brethren, we are a pillar and buttress of the truth. We're stewards. We are stewards. Jude uh, alludes to something similar. In fact, this is how he writes the book. He, he begins with this, the first three words because he wants the, uh, the recipients of this letter to know who he is. Jude, a servant. Jude, a servant or a bond slave. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. Are you a servant of Jesus Christ? Are you a bond slave of Jesus Christ? Bound to him as your savior and mediator who lives and reigns in heaven and in humble, glad submission to him on earth as his servant. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. Jude is not confused about his identity. And beloved, we ought not either. So stewards taking part in caring for something that's not originated with us and that is not ours, but God's. God's truth, God's church, God's kingdom, God's gospel. It's all about God. We're stewards. Now let's get into the main body, and I only have two main points. The first is that we always need reminders that we've been saved by grace. We always, always need reminders that we're saved by grace. If there's one thing we learn about human beings in Scripture is that we're prone to forget. In fact, we're prone to forget the most important things. And one of those things is that we're saved by grace, not by works. It's, 
We're saved by grace. And the second point is going to be, we'll see if we get there. Sometimes they get so hung up on, you know, talking about salvation and being saved by grace. We may not get there. That's tongue in cheek. We'll get there. Uh, we may have a minute and a half for it. But the second main point is that, that we always need reminders that we're stewards of grace. We always need reminders that we're stewards of grace. We're prone to forget, but we're also pr- prone to apathy. We're also prone to selfishness. We're also prone to status quo. So we always, always, each one of us, on an individual level and as a group, as the body of Christ, we all, we all always need to be stirred up by God's word, to be reminded of how important this is, of how serious this is. We all need to be stirred up and to be reminded that we're saved by grace and that we're also stewards by grace, stewards of grace. God has made us into stewards and servants. All right, let's get back to that, the, the, main, the first main point, that we always need reminders that we've been saved by grace. This is from verses one and two. I'm gonna read those, and, and the, uh, you'll see there's three aspects, three components under this heading. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, and then he says three things, okay? Here they are. James lay, uh, Jude lays them out for us. To those who are called, so that's first, we're called by, by grace, we'll talk about that. Secondly, beloved in God the Father. That's our status as those who've been called. Beloved in God the Father. We'll talk about that. And then he says, kept for or kept by Jesus Christ. We're those who are being preserved by God's grace. Called, number one. Beloved, number two. And kept, number three. And in verse uh, two, he gives them a a blessing. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now I chose not to expound on that in the sermon, but that is worth expounding on. If there's anything we need, if there's anything I need multiplied to me from God above, it's mercy, it is peace, and it is love. I need that multiplied to me, showered upon me. And I know the only place that can come from is God. It's not gonna come from in here. It's certainly not going to come from the world. We need God, and this is why it's the blessing, Jude's blessing, before they get into the body of the letter. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. That's what we need, friends, that's what we need. We don't need more stuff. We don't, we don't need more stuff. We don't need more things. We don't need more entertainment. We don't need more time on our devices. We need God's mercy and peace and love multiplied to us by his word and by the power of his Holy Spirit. That's what we need. That's what we need, and it's ample provision for us through Christ. All right, but let's go through those uh, three points. Number one, called. We're called by God's grace. Verse one, right in the middle, to those who are called. This is talking about the effectual call. When the gospel comes into our ears and into our minds and into our hearts and God changes our hearts and reconciles us to himself through Christ, we're called. It's the effectual call. This is not the general call of the gospel that's meant to go out and that should go out and that we should have a burden for it to go out to all men and all women everywhere. The general call, this is the effectual call. The call that effects change. The call that effects salvation. A classic illustration is Lazarus. Jesus calls Lazarus out of the grave. There's a problem, a logistical problem. 
Lazarus is, say it with me if you know it, dead. He cannot even hear the command in his own power and strength, let alone stand up and obey the command. His only hope is that the one who gives the command, the one who gives the call, supernaturally imparts life that Lazarus can hear and obey, and that's exactly what he does. And on a spiritual level, in a spiritual sense, that's the effectual call, the one that brings the gospel into our hearts must use that gospel to change our hearts. Praise God, salvation is by grace. We don't have the power to change our hearts. In fact, we would never want to change our hearts. Oh, praise God for his grace. Praise God he didn't leave us. Leave us on our own, leave us in our sin. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for salvation. We're called by God's grace through the, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ portrayed as crucified to us. Our substitute who hung on a cross and bled and died to purchase our redemption, praise God, we're called by grace. I'll give you a couple good cross-references for this. First Peter 2, 9 is a helpful and powerful, vivid cross-reference. First Peter 2, 9, Peter's writing to the church and he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Well, that's a great place to be. God has made you his own, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, a.k.a. who brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He ushered you by his power. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which is an image representing fellowship with Christ. That's the marvelous light, knowing Christ, knowing God, sins forgiven, filled with the Holy Spirit, the hope of heaven, the hope of eternity. Yes, marvelous is arguably an understatement. Marvelous light. How, well, how'd we get there? Pastor saying, how'd we get there? We were called. We were effectually called. God intervened in our life. Oh, I shudder to think where I'd be apart from God's sovereign and gracious intervention in my life. Didn't I tell you two cross-references? 1 Corinthians 1.9 is another good one. 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is faithful. Amen, church? Yes and amen. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I love that word fellowship. Fellowship, communion, partaker. It's a a relationship, a relational aspect of being spiritually united to Christ, even though he lives and reigns in heaven and we're down here on earth, but by faith we're united to Jesus Christ. We have fellowship with him. How do we get into that fellowship? By whom you were called. You were effectually called. I believe this is one of the things when uh, Jude, go back, flip back to Jude, when he says in verse three, I was very eager. That strikes me in the translation because eager implies very. Or you don't need to say very eager. 
you're just eager. You want to do it. But he is very eager to write to you about our common salvation. He summarizes that common salvation in verse 1. Those who are called, those who are beloved, those who are kept. And then he says, I, I found it so practically necessary. I've got to appeal to you to contend for the faith. But this is where his heart really was. He wants to talk about and expound the glories and the wonders and the beauties of knowing Jesus. We always, oh, children of God, we always need reminders that we're saved by grace. And part of that is the reminder that it's God who called us out of darkness into his light. God called us. And secondly, we need reminders that we are beloved. We need reminders that we are beloved by God's grace. We, we are beloved children of God. He says there, to those who are called, I, I love this structure, you see this in the epistles. He's, uh, Jude is telling the audience who they are in Christ. That's a good ministry paradigm. That's a good way to encourage your brothers and sisters to, to remind them who they are in Christ. To those who are called, comma, beloved in God the Father, the favor, the redemptive love of the infinite God rests upon you. <laughs> what better place could there be? What better standing could there be? Beloved. We're beloved. God's grace. I have a special love, a unique love for my children. That doesn't mean, uh, and you have this special love, unique love for your children. It doesn't mean we don't love other people and love other families and love other children, but there's a unique special love. It's part of your duty to our children, by the way, that we have for ours, and God has a special love, an, e an eternal love. I've loved you with an everlasting love, a redemptive care, favor, bestowal upon his children which is incredible to think about because we don't deserve that. We don't deserve, I, I don't even deserve to ha have heard the gospel, let alone be saved by it, let alone have the privilege to be able to understand it and preach it. It's all by God's grace. We're just lowly sinners, weak, pathetic, vile sinners that God has had mercy on and he's, he's bestowed his grace and favor and eternal redemptive love upon us. Now why has he done that? As a manifestation of his glory so that he would receive praise, so that he would receive thanks. It's all about God manifesting his grace to us, but part of that is we are beloved. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are a beloved child of God. That's the encouragement. If there's any encouragement this morning, that's your encouragement. You're a child of God and nothing in the world, nothing that happens in the world can take that away from you. No, no trials or tribulations. End of Romans 8, I guess would be your homework if you wanna read the second half of Romans 8 to really get this stirred up in you and give you confidence. Nothing, uh, not, not even your own doubts that happen in your mind and these psychological hoop jumps we, we can be put through and doubting our salvation and doubting if we're doing well enough or doubting if we're doing enough. Our salvation rests on Christ, not on our works, not on our abilities, not on the, not on the, um, the goodness of our religious performance, so to speak. It all rests on Christ. Our status is beloved, and our status is beloved by virtue of God's grace. I guess if I could summarize it, that's what I would say. Now, uh, I'm going to make you flip to a couple passages, but they're very, very close in your Bible. So just go backwards a couple of pages to 1 John 4, 9. 
1 John 4, 9, if we're talking about God's uh, love for his children, that we are beloved children of God, I want us to see that, first of all, how this love was made manifest to us, and secondly, that we need to receive this love by faith. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So all John is just telling us what he's about to tell us. He's about to tell us how God's love was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. There you go, that's where we start. What's love? How's love been made manifest from God? He sent his son so that we could live through him. Verse 10, in this is love, now he's really honing in on it. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation for our sins, that's picturing Jesus dying on the cross. Propitiation, that means atoning sacrifice. That means a blood sacrifice that turns away the wrath of God. Jesus dying on a cross, bearing our sins upon his body, bearing the guilt of our sins upon his body, receiving the penalty for our sins upon his body, upon his soul, dying on a cross, propitiation. Don't be turned off because it's a long word with a lot of syllables that you never hear anywhere else except in the Bible or in church. It's a glorious word, propitiation. This is the way our sins are forgiven, the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Anyway, the point is that's the manifestation of God's love toward us, the manifestation of God's love, but that love must be received by faith. Flip back one page to 1 John 3, 1 and 2. 1 John 3, 1 and 2. It is not salvation just to agree with the fact that God revealed his love through the death of Christ. No, 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 you must turn to Christ in faith. You must embrace Christ in faith to be saved. Knowing facts does not save us. Christianity is not just a philosophical set of ideas that we agree that they're true. No, 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 they change our hearts to embrace Christ by faith. He is our savior. That's what salvation is. So these two points must go together. God has made his love manifest, but secondly, that love made manifest in the death of Christ must be received by faith. 1 John 3, 1 and 2. See what kind of love the Father has given to us? Well, what kind of love has the Father given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are? Boy, it's the greatest place to be. It's the greatest place to be in the universe, to be a child of God. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. That's right, of course, because the darkness hates the light, and the darkness rages against the light, and the darkness works to push the light out of the world. That is, of course, unless the light transforms the darkness, which is what salvation is. So we can be called out of darkness and do his marvelous light. Verse two, 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. Oh, what encouragement. And what we will be has not yet appeared. That's talking about the resurrection body. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, 
resurrection body because we shall see him as he is in resurrection glory, heavenly resurrection glory. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is talking about people who've become a children of God by faith in Christ. So we, we must see how God's love is made manifest, how his redemptive love is made manifest, how he forgives sins. It's through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ and Christ's resurrection, the hope of life and resurrection. But, we, but knowing the fact is not what reconciles us to God. And even feeling sorry for our sins is not what reconciles us to God. There should come a point when we hear of God's holiness, we hear of God's law, we hear of God's commands, and what that's supposed to do is expose our sin, teach us that we are sinners, bring us to conviction, give us broken hearts, being sorry for our sin, but that alone doesn't save. Just be, don't try to rush people to salvation. Just because someone's starting to come under conviction and feeling sorry for sin, they're not saved yet. They must break through to faith in Christ. Friends, we're not saved by guilt. We're saved by faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We always, always need to be reminded that we're saved by grace. First of all, we've been called and second of all, as those who've been called, we are now beloved children of God. Praise the Lord. I wish there were a mountain right here so we could all go up on the shout from the mountaintops that we're children of God through faith in Christ. Well, in your mind's eye, you could do that. A third, we are being kept by God's grace. Back in Jude, verse 1, to those who are called, Praise the Lord. To those who are beloved in God the Father, amen, praise the Lord. And, and kept for, kept by Jesus Christ. Preserved by Jesus Christ. Those who persevere by virtue of the power of Jesus Christ. Kept means the opposite of lost. I lose things all the time. Sometimes things, sometimes patience. Uh, and promises, you make promises, sometimes you forget a promise. Sometimes you remember the promise, but you just don't have the energy or the power or the wherewithal to come through and fulfill that promise. We, we do it all the time, we're imperfect. God is not imperfect, God is faithful. Can you imagine, oh, children of God, can you imagine if it were up to our own strength to preserve ourselves in the grace of God? What in the world? I mean, we know exactly where we would be. And it's not like it would take like a couple weeks for it to set in either. Thank God for his preserving grace. He's called us into fellowship with Christ. He's made us beloved children of God. And he preserves us by his power and by his grace. In fact, this is the note that Jude ends on. Go to the end of Jude, verses 24 and 25. And if you were to read through the book of Jude, which would take you all of like a minute and a half, unless you were to read carefully and prayerfully and look up some of the cross-references to get the context, but you see it's a serious situation that they're in, in the church. And there's some serious weighty commands that they need to take heed and obey. It's just a practical outworking of obeying those commands. Now how in the world are they, they going to be able to endure and to obey? Verse 24 and 25, this is how Jude ends. Now to him 
who is able to keep you from stumbling and is able to do something else too. Present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. God is able to do it, friends. God is able to do it. God is able to keep us. He's able to keep us from stumbling. We cannot do that. He's able to present us blameless before the presence of his glory. So to him we give the credit. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, which is one of my favorite phrases in Jude. God is our creator. God is our Savior. How has he saved us? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Be glory. Manifest radiance and power and beauty. Glory. Be majesty. He's highly exalted. Dominion. Here's what that means. Everything is his. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. When we step outside, know that the land that you're standing on and stepping on is God's land. The earth is God's. He made it. I see my kids playing Legos and all different kinds of toys. They make worlds, and when they make worlds, they get to decide who comes in the world, what the characters are. They name them. They give them storylines. They have, they have sovereignty over the little Lego world. So if you make a world, yes, you get to determine what's right and wrong. You get to determine the requirements for the people in the world, but God made this world. God made the earth. God made mankind. He has all dominion. Everything is his and authority. That means he's actively ruling over everything that is his. He has dominion and he has authority before all time, now, and forever. Well, this, uh, verses 24 and 25, if you, if you haven't been able to tell, have really captivated my heart right now. Because look at, look at the end of verse 24. Oh my goodness. God is able to present us before the presence of his glory. Do we understand what that means? the presence of his glory. Now, God dwells in unapproachable light. God is a consuming fire. You cannot just walk up to God's central revelation of himself, which is his glorious throne in heaven, which is what this is referring to. You will be destroyed. How in the world were we made able to be presented blameless before his glory with great joy and not great terror? humor me on this. Please turn with me to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel 7 verse 9. This is a portion of a vision. The central and foundational prophecy of Daniel is found in chapter 2 where Daniel prophesies there's going to be five successive kingdoms on earth, first Babylon, then the Medes and the Persians, then the Greeks, then the Romans, and then in, in, in that time, God will establish his kingdom. This is a portion of a vision in Daniel 7. That's, this portion of the vision is going to describe the transition from that fourth kingdom, Rome, to the fifth kingdom, kingdom of God. But this is a throne, a vision of God's throne. As I looked, thrones were placed, 
and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. Thousands, thousands served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were open. This is God's throne room in heaven. This is the heavenly court of God. Thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. What's the ancient of days? He's older than days. Days are old. He's older than days. He created days. Days are ancient. He's ancient of days. He's the everlasting one. He's an eternal being. The Ancient of Days took his seat. All the other thrones are in submission and, de- and under the delegation of the Ancient of Days. His clothing was white as snow, which in the vision represents his perfect purity and holiness. Everything about him is right. The hair of his head was like pure wool, which represents wisdom and knowledge. He knows everything, he sees everything, he sees into our hearts. Nothing is hidden from him. His throne was fiery flames. It's intriguing to me. What in the world is the glory of this being who sits on a throne, not that just is on fire, but the throne is fiery flames. And this being is more powerful than those flames. He reigns on this throne. Its wheels were burning fire. Why does it have wheels? Because wherever he goes, he reigns. He's not limited to one spot, a stream. Look at this, verse 10, as if it weren't enough that if you were gonna approach this being, you would need to approach a being of infinite power whose throne is a throne of flames and its wheels are a flame. Verse 10, a stream of fire issued and came out from before him. That, that anything that's not worthy would be instantly consumed and disintegrated. Were you ever at a campfire? Yeah, if you're at a small campfire, it's not that big of a deal. You, you can get pretty close. The bigger it gets, and if it turns into a bonfire, eventually at some point in the night, people are going to start backing their hay bales up or backing their chairs up. You can't approach fire. That's the picture. A God who dwells in unapproachable light and is served by thousands upon thousands upon thousands of heavenly servants. Now, this being, this being, you can have confidence this morning. You can have 100% confidence that you can, you can approach his throne and be accepted by him and be seen as blameless before him. And you can have great joy in the presence of this throne because of the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. This, being, this is the central revelation of God in the universe is his revelation of his throne in heaven. Heaven is not an eternal place. Heaven is a created place. And God reveals himself centrally in his throne in heaven. That is a consuming fire. It is unapproachable light. Anyway, all that to say, you can be reconciled and have a relationship with this being and be under his favor through Jesus Christ. Isn't that something? We got all that from Jude 24 and 25. He is able, he is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory, the presence of his glory 
Christianity is about being saved in this life, being transformed in this life, experiencing the blessings of God in this life, but not only. It is also for the life to come, to be with God forever, to enter into his presence, to be in heaven. And then one day after Christ returns, the new heavens and the new earth and the presence of God and the presence of Christ forever. All this is still underkept, underkept. We're kept by God's grace and one day presented, presented before the throne of glory by God's grace. I think I uh, predicted that pretty well, that I'd get hung up on the first point of reminding, being reminded that we're saved by grace. Number one, beloved of God, we're called by God's grace. Number two, we are now beloved children of God under his grace. Number three, friends, we are kept. If we're gonna be kept, we need to be kept for God. And I highlighted the throne of glory in Daniel because I want us to understand, I want the impact of the end goal of this whole thing to weigh on our hearts this morning. There is an end game to be with God, to be in the presence of the glory of God. Now our second point, in theory, was going to be that we always need reminders that we're stewards of grace. We're stewards of grace. First of all, we're stewards that we must Uh, We must contend, I'm gonna give you the points and then read the verses. This comes from verses three and four. We must contend for the faith. The faith won't contend for itself. People, God works through people, through churches. We contend for the faith. And as we're doing that, we contend against the perversion of the grace of God, using God's grace as an excuse to live however you want. And as stewards, we can also contend against those who deny our only master and Lord. So those are your points. It comes from verses three and four, and then really the rest of Jude is about this. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That's contending for the faith. Contending, striving, fighting. In boxing, you have the number one contender. He's fought his way up the ranks so that supposedly he has the best chance at fighting for, contending for the champion, championship. Well, we are in a spiritual contending through prayer and through the word of God. And verse four, for certain people, here's what we contend against. Certain people have crept in unnoticed. They crept in unnoticed. This is in the church. This is false teachers in the church. They crept in. They came in. They slithered in like snakes. They crept in unnoticed. Long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. I'm going to make one comment about that last phrase and then I'm going to pray for us and we'll be through. And the last comment I want to make is about this at the end of verse 4. They're contending against those who deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Why would he point that out? That they need to contend against those who deny our only master and Lord. Because it's easy to forget that Jesus is not only our Savior, who takes away our sins, but he's also also our master to be obeyed. It's one thing to be a Bible believer, but brothers, sisters, we wanna be Bible appliers. 
Bible believers, Bible appliers. Jesus is a master to be obeyed and he's our Lord to be submitted to in all of life. Oh, please don't push discipleship to the fringes and outskirts of your life, but bring it close. Let your love for Christ expand. You're saved by grace and we're stewards by God's grace. Let us strive by faith. Let's pray together. Father, you have been so good to us and we're mindful of your power. We're mindful of your holiness and centrally, Lord, we're mindful of Jesus Christ. You've revealed your love to us and for us through him and by your grace, you've given us hearts to love and obey and believe in him. I pray that no matter what happens in the details of our lives when we leave, that we would cling ever closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we lift this prayer. Amen.